We are in a new series, new year, in fact, entitled uh, God First. This is a culmination of a, a lot of my own um, personal thoughts and prayers and what I feel like God has been uh, convicting me on and, and telling me that I need to, uh, I need to do. And uh, as I look at the church, not just our church, but just Christianity here in America, and I ask the question, you know, what is really, what is really, uh, what's going on with us? Where, where are we at? Uh, we live in a time of insanity. Uh, just insanity. Uh, aside from all the things that just began to run through my mind when I said that, which is our own lives. I mean, how many of you are busy? Right? And you're busy with all of these things. Man, it's so hard because there's so many things that are pulling at you, so many voices that you're, that you're hearing and listening to, so many demands that are being imposed on your life. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty terrible at saying no. And so, and so these things begin to demand more and more of my attention. And so I, I'm a person who has a lot of different things going on uh, in my life, different, different boxes, if, if you want to put it that way. Um, but God has been saying to me over and over again, you need to put me first. I need to be first, especially if any of this is going to, if this is going to have any eternal consequence, if it's going to have any, any real meaning, if I'm going to make it through, I need to be first. And so if I'm going to make this happen, somehow I've got to find ways to give God bigger space in my life, which means that, here's one example, needs to be shrunk down if not deleted. It's going to take some time, commitments out of my life and into God. It's going to take some financial commitments out of my life and into God. It's going to take all kinds of things that, that I need to begin to mull over and I, I have to take real, honest account of myself. We don't do that very often. If you don't think you're overweight, you never go to the gym, right? If you don't think you need to get healthy, you'll never go to the gym. You, you, if we don't realize that there's something wrong, then we will never strive to fix it. And what I'm asking you to do is to spend some time this week thinking about where can I make God first? What am I putting ahead of God? What box, what box can I cut down or shrink or delete entirely so that God can have a larger place in my life? That's what all of this is about. Now, I believe that we're all in the same boat because I don't think any of us would be willing to say, I love God completely and I couldn't love him any more than I do. Anybody willing to say that? I serve God completely. I couldn't serve God any more than I already do. Right? None of us would say that. And so we have to begin to ask that question. Why is it then that I don't give God more? And I was thinking about this for, for me, and maybe this will have resonance for you as well. I think, I think it's fear. I know there's a lot of things that get, get in our way. We can point to distractions. We can point to, to laziness. We can point to all kinds of things that, that keep us from actually giving God more of our life. But if I say, what is the problem with Jordan? The problem with Jordan is that Jordan is afraid. I am afraid that prayer will not be fulfilling enough. I'm afraid that the Bible will be boring. I'm afraid that if I give God more of my money, we'll have less for family vacation. I'm afraid if I give more of my time, I'll have less time for me time. I'm afraid if I give God more and more and more of my life, there will be less and less and less of me. Less and less and less of what I want and what I desire. 
And that means that Jordan has to die in order for God to live. Jesus talks this way. He says in John 12, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. Now, this makes sense. You don't have to be an a agriculturalist or horticulturalist or a farmer to understand that. If you want to grow more trees, what do you have to do? Plant more seeds, right? I mean, this is just logic. Everyone just says it. But once that, that, that seed or that, that fruit, let's say the fruit that's on the tree, once that fruit falls off the tree, what does it do? It dies. It rots, Right? And until it does that, more trees cannot be produced. And so we have before us two ways of living. You can stay a single person. You can stay on the vine. You can stay on the tree, if you will. You can, you can spend your life focused on you and your me time and your vacation and, and whatever else it is that, that is occupying your time, your money, your attention. You can do that. You have that option. But Jesus says very specifically his followers are different. In fact, Jesus models that, does he not? Doesn't Jesus say over and over again? Doesn't Jesus demonstrate? Jesus is, we, we just went through the Christmas season. He is God incarnate, the son of God, we call him. He should have been able to do whatever he wanted. And yet, he doesn't. He makes himself the servant of all. And so he says, listen, if, if you're going to be part of me, if anyone, if anyone loves his life, they'll lose it. And that's, and that's just a fact, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many vacations you take. It doesn't matter how many trips you go on. It doesn't matter how many boats you have in the harbor. That wasn't directly aimed at you, but... <laughs> it doesn't matter how many cars you have in the driveway, how much your 401... It doesn't matter how much you die with, you're still what? Dead. So why are we racing after things that don't matter? And pouring our energy into things that pass away. Jesus says, listen, you want, you, you can do, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. I mean, that's just a fact. That's a, the fact of life. But if you hate your life, that is to say, you put your life down and you lift others up, especially in the face of God, then you keep it for eternal life. Because you have invested into the eternal things, you will reap the eternal things, as it were. And my father, he says, will honor the one who serves me. Because ultimately, if you are going to call yourself a Christian, you have to follow Jesus. You have to do what Jesus did. And what Jesus fundamentally did was he always seemed to be open to distraction. One of my favorite stories, this is actually what convicted me to uh, enter the, the children's, do the children's thing for Wednesday night. I'm really excited about it now. Some of you know this story. I'll, I'll tell it real quick. When I went, left, um, Michigan, we went down to Tennessee. I had been a youth minister for, for many, many years. And then uh, I was also working at a daycare. And then I quit doing the youth ministry. We ended up at a small house church, and I ended up doing youth ministry again. And so I said to God, God, when we go to Tennessee, I'm not doing youth ministry. I'm not doing it. And God, the ultimate prankster, gave me a youth ministry, right? So never tell God not that you won't do something, because you'll inevitably end up doing it. But anyway... Um, I'm really excited about it. I love this story. Jesus is, is he's, he's, he's 
teaching. He's doing important things. And then parents come and say, bless our children, right? This distraction of the meaninglessness of little children. What do little children add to your life? Diapers, expenses, no sleep. And all the new moms say, yeah, well, there's a couple of them there. Right? So, uh, but, but Jesus stops. He, he, he opens himself up to this distraction, and he submits himself to the whims of parents and their snotty-nosed brats. This is Jesus. Whoever would follow me must be a servant too. So this brings us into the context of the book of the Bible that we are studying right now. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 46 is the, the context. We're not going to read all of this, so I want to put it up there so you can, you can read it all for yourself. We're going to read several verses out of this text. And so uh, if you grab your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. There should be one in front of you. It is on page 145. 145. We began to dive into this book last week, and we're going to continue that journey today. The most important or the, the overarching point of, of, of where we're at in the text right now is verse 8. And I'll read that and, and uh, we'll go back over it. But it says, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. God had set this land right here. We call this area the Fertile Crescent because it is the best area in the, the, this, this region, because it's constantly fertilized by the, the waters that you see going on here. And God has given this land of Canaan to the Israelites. In the context of this moment, or of this story, verse 8, is this generation of young Israelites. Are, they're at the gates, as it were. They're about to enter into the promised land. And Moses says, hold up, I have a word for you. I need to tell you something before you guys go in and try to take over the land. I need to rewind we don't do that anymore. That dated myself. We don't rewind. We skip. What do we do? What do we do now? Skip back? Reboot? Prequel. Prequel. Everybody with me? We got to go back to the prequel, that horrible episode one with Jar Jar and the whole thing, right? Go back to episode one. 40 years in the past. Remember, 40 years back. And I need to retell you the story so that you remember where we went wrong. So that you can get things right. With me? So, this is where we are in the story. That's where we are right here in Deuteronomy. Moses is beginning to retell the story of what happened. So the, they bring, God brings them out of the land of Goshen and brings them across. And they wander around and they, they meet God. And here they are at the gates 40 years previously. Which brings us, which brings us to verse 21. Here God has a word for them. Moses is remembering 40 years ago and he says, See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. And here's the important line, the line that matters so much. <coughs> Do not fear or be dismayed. God commands them, do not fear or be dismayed. You ever tried to command somebody not to be afraid? <coughs> Doesn't work so well. <clears throat> this week, Emery, who is our, our sweet and tender-hearted one, uh, 
was going to go over to Gwen's house to play with Chloe. Chloe's up from Florida. She was so excited to play with Chloe. Chloe and her were, you know, close. They hung out every Sunday night, and Chloe was gone. Now Chloe's back, and she's so excited. But the day before, she had just gotten back Sandy, which is a stupid stuffed animal. Great dad, right? (laughs) She had just gotten this back from her aunt and her grandma, (coughs) her blankie and her stuffed animal, and she was torn because she knew she couldn't take those with her to Chloe's house. But she couldn't leave them behind. Why can't she leave them behind? Well, a fire might consume the house. Or a thief might come in and take them. We assure her, do not fear, oh, our daughter. Your parents are quite responsible. Mom is quite responsible. Dad is fair enough to have, you know, you're, you're alive, you're kicking, everything's fine. It's going to be fine. <clears throat> she held on. She didn't trust us. She's alive because of us, but she didn't trust us. Believe me, the life that she has, she has because we haven't taken it, right, parents? See, there we go. Some of you are willing to speak the truth. And we need to go. We don't really need to go, but I feel the pressure of going, which leads me to frustration, which leads me to what? Anger. Which leads me to yelling at her and commanding her, do not fear. Which led to tears. And Laura giving me dirty looks. The look that says, you're not helping. I can't make it. She does it so well. It's almost like she's had like years of practice, right? A lot of practice. Almost like that. You're not helping. And so, we're, so we begin to comfort her. And we say, like, listen, you're, you know, mommy and daddy are going to be right here. We're responsible adults. If the house burns down, we will take the blanket with us. If a burglar comes in, I will throw my body on the blanket to save it from being stolen. Right? We, we comfort her with proofs. And it is through the proofs that the command sticks. And finally, we get her out of the door and off to Chloe's house. All of that as an illustration to say, when God says to these people, do not fear, it isn't as though God just showed up and said, poof, here I am for the first time, don't fear, I'm God. It is as if God brought them out of the land of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, and not just like brought them out and paved the way for them, but he defeated and destroyed the most important and powerful empire on the face of the earth. He brought food down from heaven. They didn't know what to call it, so they called it manna, which translates, what is it, right? And they grind this into sweet-tasting cakes. God could have given you Brussels sprouts. He didn't. He gave you honey-flavored bread, and that wasn't enough. And so God gave them quail, which I don't know what that tastes like, but better than Brussels sprouts, I'm sure. God gave them meat. He provided water from the rock when they were, like God has over and over and over again demonstrated when I say don't fear, you don't need to fear. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Because God has demonstrated the same thing to us. We still fear. We still hold back. We still put things before him. 
We still say, well, God, you know, I, money's tight, life's short, my, my, my family is, is, is struggling, my, my body is failing. We, we, still, we still fear. You know, it's interesting to, to look through how often the Bible says, fear not. I really like this uh, Psalm 118 I talked about earlier. Here's a little chunk of it, verse 5 through 7. Out of my distress, I called to the Lord, and the Lord answered me, and he set me free. Because the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. He is my, my helper. So I shall look on triumph over those who hate me. The psalmist is facing physical threats, physical enemies. He's, he's facing very much like the, like the Israelites, as we'll talk about here in a minute, very, very dangerous, very dangerous times. And maybe you are experiencing that as well, physical, physical threats, physical fear. When we fast forward, we move from the psalmist all the way back toward kind of the, almost the end of the Bible. There's a letter called the book of Hebrews or the letter, letter to the Hebrews. And here the Hebrews seem to be these, these, these Christians are wrestling with money. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now here it, we have to understand within the context of this love of money is not to say that these guys were well off. They were not. He's not saying to a bunch of rich people, hey, listen, you don't need to like Scrooge McDuck, du, Scrooge McDuck your coins, right, in the giant safe. You need to not worry about money. Don't love money. Don't hold on to it. Don't think that this is the thing that's going to save you. Rather be content with what you have for he that is God has said, and here's a beautiful line, isn't it? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Because of that promise, we can confidently say, and here he quotes back to Psalm 118, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? The principle here is clear, that with God on our side, we are able to face down the things that face us. There's another line from the scriptures, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, but those who rise up against us shall fall. Not because you are smart or beautiful or strong, but because the Lord is on your side. And how do we assure ourselves that God is on our side if we can say, I have put God first? In fact, that's all of Deuteronomy is pressing us to see this. If you put God first in the land, then God will put you first in the land. Now, rewinding back to 40 years prior, and the Israelites are been told to go in and, and to take possession of the land, and so they send in spies into Canaan. And the spies look around and they say, wow, this is a great land. It's flowing with milk and honey. Grapes on clusters fall, right? If you know that song. The land is good. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But there is an impediment. The cities are fortified. In fact, if you look in verse 27, we hear the murmurs amongst the tents of the Israelites. Hear the, hear the murmuring whisper. Give me some murmurs. Oh, yeah, very, this, you are good murmurers. Wow. Wow. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us and brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us to the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up to? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. 
And besides this, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Dun, dun, dun. Right? That filled your heart with fear, didn't it? No. Well, that's all right. Let's do a little. Let's do. What, what, what are they fearing? They're fearing these great cities. They're fearing these tall, mighty warriors. And we hear there also they are the Anakim. If you go a book back to Numbers, this is just kind of a little glimpse we're getting here at the beginning of Deuteronomy, just a short telling or retelling of what transpired. If you go back to Deuteronomy, or I'm sorry, go back to Numbers, Numbers gives kind of a much larger depiction. And it says in Numbers that the spies went into the land and they came out of the land and they said they saw the Nephilim there, the sons of Anak who are from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. When was the last time you were afraid of a grasshopper? Some of you maybe would scream and run away, but you could stomp on it. Like they're very small, not a very big deal. Now this, this Nephilim thing might remind you of the Genesis 6. There's this crazy story in Genesis 6, and I'm not going to dive into it, but the sons of God come to the daughters of man, and they, they create this sort of like super dudes, kind of like an army of this. <laughs> or this. Now, it's one thing for God to say, go take the city. It's one thing to fight an army, but an army of this dude? This is what they're facing. Mighty warriors, and so they, they're afraid. They're afraid. I'm afraid I've lost you if I don't turn that off. <laughs> they're facing a lot of things which legitimately would cause you to fear, except for if you had seen God annihilate Egypt, bring food from the sky, bring food from the east, bring water from a rock, lead you through the wilderness with a pillar of, of cloud, and then in the night with a pillar of fire, the Red Sea part, and you walk on dry ground, and then the sea close back on top of your enemies, slaying them all. You should be afraid of those dudes, except for you have seen God knock down cities and knock down bullies. So what are the Israelites really saying? Are they really saying we're afraid of the cities, we're afraid of the armies, or are they really saying, God, why isn't this easier? You ever said that? God, why is my life not easier? You know, the funny thing about Jesus, we could talk a lot about Jesus' life, but I don't think any of us would call that life easy. And Jesus said, if you want to follow after me, then you're going to have to live the life that I lived. Like, that's, what, that's kind of what following means. Like, definitionally, that's what it means. And the Israelites are murmuring in their tent, and they're murmuring because they're afraid, because things have not gone the way they wanted, because... They wanted an easier path than they were given. God, why isn't this a piece of cake? God, why is there so much struggle? God, why is there so much trial? God, why is there so much suffering? God, why is this not easier? Why is this not easier? And it's because of this that the Israelites are going to say, you know what? Let's forget about this whole thing. Now, they don't say it out loud, and they don't say it to Moses. They're sort of murmuring in their tents. Go ahead and murmur again for me. It was so great. I want to hear it again. 
Oh, yes. That was not as good as the first time, but that's okay. Arnold has been shown. It's difficult to come back from that, I understand. Uh, They're murmuring in their tents, and God hears, though, because God hears murmurs, right? (laughs) You think you can hide it from God. God heard all of this, and he says, fine, don't go up. In fact, I tell you, don't go up. They realize their mistake. They realize that they've made an error in judgment. And they say, no, 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 we're, we're, just, we're just murmuring a little bit. Why do you take everything so seriously, God? After all, it was murmurs in our tents, right? We didn't write it. We didn't nail it to a church wall. We didn't post it on Facebook. It's just some murmurs. That's all. God says, don't go up. And they say, well, we're going to go up anyway. So they strap their swords on, and they head up the hill, and guess what happens? They come back running down the hill, because if the Lord is on your, not on your side, do not expect the victory. And God is not on their side because in their hearts and in their tents, God was not first. The good news is God doesn't abandon them, but rather punishes them, has them wander around for 40 years. I wonder if maybe some of us have been wandering around for some time. I wonder if you've been wandering around, sort of aimless, wondering, yeah, what's God doing with me? And maybe you've been wandering around, you don't even recognize it. You, you haven't even been paying attention. And so you don't even realize it. Maybe just now there's maybe a voice or something that's pricking you and moving you and saying, man, God's, God's doing something with me and I really haven't been putting him first. Whatever it is, there's great good news for us this morning because the word of God talks about Why it isn't easy. And it gives us hope. James 1.3 says that the the testing of our faith produces something in us. Steadfastness. This this relates in some way to to the hased that we talked about earlier. This, this, This covenant faithfulness that God does not leave or abandon. That God, even though he has every right to, sticks by the side of his people and those who call on his name. And that if in the trial we hold fast, a kind of hold fast person is born out of the ashes of that struggle. Does that make sense? The the battle that the Israelites are facing, taking the land, that's the first step. In fact, that's the easiest step. Fighting the battle, the enemy that's right in front of you. I'm 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 a... Israelite soldier and I'm fighting these guys right here and I can see my enemy and I know what I'm supposed to do. Living in obedience for the next 80 years is far more difficult. I think the tough things, the battle you face now, man, there's something harder on the other side of it. And if God can't trust you to fight the battle in front of you, if God can't trust you to have faithfulness in reading scripture and prayer and attending and serving in church and and offering some of your your wealth and possessions to those who are in need and, and giving back to the church, if God can't trust you in those little finite, easy things right in front of your face, how is God ever gonna trust me or you with big tasks beyond it? If our fear keeps us and holds us back from those small, easy things that you already know because they've been drilled into you since VBS in sixth grade, why haven't you gone any further? Right? We've been held back. What I'm saying to you today is don't be held back anymore. 
Whatever it is that has held you back for the, for the years before 2018 is now sitting in front of you. An entire year that you can devote to God, that you can change. And I want you to look back at this year. I want to look back at this year and say 2018 was a turning point in my life. That I've seen God pour himself out on ODCC and on all of you and on me in ways I've never anticipated. But I know that if I don't fight the easy battles up first, if I am not steadfast in the small things, the great things, forget about them. And I want the great things. I want the great things. Steadfastness produces someone that God can trust with the great things. As connection of eternal import. This text here is referring to what will happen on the, on the day. Let me capitalize it for you. The day, the judgment day. That there's coming a day when all of our deeds will be exposed. All of the murmurs in our tents or cars or Facebook profiles. All of this stuff comes to light. And there it is in black and white before all of us. And we will be judged. Our works will be purged as it were with fire. And anything that was not of good value. Anything that didn't put, let's put our word on it, God first is burned up. Because it was transitory, it was passing. A fleeting experience and nothing more. Rather than rooted in the growth of the kingdom of God. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one of us has done. What will your work be? For 2018, what will your work be. So that maybe years before this, you have some good, some bad. We have a whole year of good, a whole year of work that shines, a whole year of work that you can look back on and you can be proud of, a work that you can stand before God with confidence and God can say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You have done well. Because our fears are misplaced. If you're afraid that giving more of yourself will mean that there will be less of you to offer to God, less of you for your own self. The, the, the wonderful passage that we had there um, in John chapter 12 is so great because this idea of, of, of dying to ourselves is so painful, it, it's so taxing, it's, it's almost hard to even imagine dying completely to myself, but, but I want to see trees grow, I want to see crops, I want to see Things expand beyond myself. I want to see God bless more. And in order for that to happen, the first thing that has to happen is I have to drop off and I have to die. I have to set those things aside. I have to be like Emery, trusting mom and dad, all of these different things that we've talked along the way. But ultimately, all of them bring together this one thought that as we look back on the Israelites of old and we ask the question, what kept them from the promise what kept them from the good that God wanted to pour into their lives? What, what kept them from the victory? And then the great things beyond the victory, what kept them back? It was the fear that God would not be enough, that they would not be strong enough, that they couldn't do it. All of those fears were misplaced. All of them were lies. All of them were false. And they let it waste 40 years of their life. You have so much life in front of you. You have so much potential in front of you. You have so much that God can do through and with you. 
won't you put God first? Won't you ask the question, what's the promised land God set in front of me? And how can I set aside my fear and lean in with all of me to the promises of God? Because there will be a harvest beyond all of your imagination. If you have a decision to make today, now is the time to make it. Whether in your seat or coming down front to talk to one of the elders, pray with them. If you have something, a a battle in front of you that you need help, you are not alone. You have an army of people around you that want to pray and walk with you. If you need prayer, come down front and pray with us. Let us pray over you and walk with you through the challenges that you face. If you have a decision, and I think you have a decision, make it today. Let's stand as we sing the song of praise. Okay.